Here's the title of, of, of my talk tonight, kind of where we're headed, and it's, uh, it's an interesting title, unusual, and that is uh, the, the number one reason people go to church. The number one reason people do church. So what I want to talk tonight. What, what is the number one reason? I recently was informed of this by David Curl, my friend and CEO of Church Home. He informed me that a recent study was done, and you will be shocked what the number one, maybe not shocked, but I was, uh, I was encouraged but also somewhat surprised. So tonight's message is dedicated to all of those people that were polled in that important survey um, because they have told us what the general consensus is of why people do church, go to church, consider church, involve themselves in church, and we're going to speak to that tonight. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 17. For those uh, who've been around, I've been on this passage now for a few weeks. We're going to jump in there again. Luke chapter 17, we'll start reading in verse 11. We'll read a few verses and then we'll close our eyes and we shall pray if you want to. It's a free country. Um, and then we'll, uh, we'll get started. Are you good? Promise? Okay, you're a little quiet. People from New Orleans aren't quiet, though. I'll tell you that. Look at them. It's Mardi Gras in church. Um, all right, Luke, I don't even know what that means. It's going to be Christians emailing our church. Mardi Gras is not biblical. Okay. Who thinks Christians should calm down? I should preach a sermon on that. Let's do a seven-part series. Christians, please calm down. <laughs> okay, I got a lot of jokes tonight. Okay, here we go. Luke 17 and verse 11, on the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, he was met by 10 individuals who are affected by leprosy. Now, leprosy was a multiplicity of skin conditions. Uh, these people, their skin, it's a skin-eating disease, right? So they're losing their ears, their noses. All 10 of these individuals have a very apparent um, difficult disease that had caused them to be excommunicated from their villages and communities. At a distance, they approach Jesus. Clearly, they've heard the news that he could do miracles. And so they ask for one. They say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. And they're, they're raising their voice. Jesus, hey, can you have mercy on us? It's a nice way of saying Heal us of our skin disease. It's embarrassing. We can't be around our loved ones, our family members. If you do miracles, can you do one for us? Jesus says this, go and show yourselves to the priest. Now, this is a very unusual healing moment for Jesus. Typically, Jesus heals people like, and you're healed. It's like, ta-da! It's like, wow, what an amazing moment. There's a couple of awkward healing moments. This is one of them. The other one was when Jesus spit in the dirt, made mud, and put it on the guy's eyes. I definitely don't prefer that method, okay? This one's also a little wonky. Jesus goes, quoting now the law, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, he says, well, go show yourself to the priest. Now, keep in mind, the law teaches them, the, the, the Jewish law, that if you believe yourself to be healed of leprosy, the Torah taught you could go to a priest. That priest would have to examine every inch of your body. Certainly glad pastors don't do that today. Every inch of your body looking for leprosy. If no leprosy was found, that person would be declared clean and reinserted into the village, their community, their family, and their job. So when Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priest, it is, in fact, out of order. They are not healed, but Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. 
This is undoubtedly, if you are familiar with the Torah, this is a frustrating moment, okay? This is not like, oh, that sounds like a great plan. It's like, wait, that's part of the law, but it's out of, we're not healed. Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. Now keep in mind, the main thing that's gonna unfold in front of us is Jesus is about to show us another way. He is changing the world order. He is about to change the universe as we know it. And this will be one of those passages where Jesus will turn the entire universe on his head. He says, and I quote, go show, go show yourselves to the priest. Now listen now to the scripture. It says, as they were on their way to be cleansed, as, as they were on their way to be investigated, they were cleansed. So it happened on the way. Next verse, verse 15. Then one of them, so not 10 of them, but one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, he gets loud, he starts praising God and says this in verse 16, he fell on his face, I love this guy, he's my kind of guy, he's emotional, he's loud, he's dramatic. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks, right? It says giving him thanks, but what it means is he's going, thank you, 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 he's really passionate. And then Luke, who writes this gospel, says he was a Samaritan. Oh, wow. Now we're told in the story he's, he's not Jewish. Jesus is Jewish. He's come first for his Jewish people. This guy is not full Jew. He is Samaritan. The Jews believed the Samaritans to be mixed breeds and believed them to be unclean and had absolutely no dealings with the Samaritans. They wouldn't be caught dead with the Samaritan to say it curtly and crudely. So Luke says he was a Samaritan. Listen to now the words of Jesus. He says, were there not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? And that would be another title for a certain, where, where are the nine? He goes on, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Now, I will say about the Samaritan, this is a sharp guy. Because most people, when somebody asks a question, particularly someone who has so much power and influence as Jesus, you attempt to answer, but this guy's smart. He's like, if he can heal me of leprosy, he doesn't need to ask me questions. I'm sure he has the answer, okay? This is definitely a rhetorical moment with the maker of heaven and earth. Where are the other nine? Oh no, anytime Jesus asks a question, just kind of stand by. Because <laughs> he'll be like, All right, I'll give you the answer. You know. So he, he knows, he's making a statement more than a question, isn't he? Was, was no one found to give praise to God except this foreigner? The guy remained silent. Jesus says, rise, go your way, your faith has made you well. That word well has nothing to do with his physical body, his lips, hips, or fingertips. It has everything to do with his soul. He now says, your leprosy's gone, but now your soul is well. You are well outside and Inside. I know right now it's hard to make the connections, but we're going to use this passage as a case study to help us understand the, the, the antidote or the answer or my response to the number one reason people go to church. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for the moments that we share. Help us to experience you in a real way. Make this so much more than a sermon, so much more than a speech so much more than words. I pray, God, it would be an encounter with you. You are alive. You are extraordinary. You are amazing. We love you so much. God, I pray for everyone watching on Instagram live. Help them not get distracted on Instagram. In Jesus' name, and everyone said...
That's hard to do. Shout out to Instagram live people. That's hard to focus on Instagram. I don't use Instagram. I don't, I'm not on social media because it's too distracting for me. So uh, that's a disconnected thought I'd like to share. Moving on. Have you ever wondered um, the number one reason right now in our country people want to get married? This is, this is interesting, right? Let's talk about number ones for a second, since we're about to get to the number one reason people come to spaces and places like this. The number one reason people currently want to get married in the United States of America. I was surprised. I was surprised. Now, obviously, if you polled just Christians, sex would rise to the top, no question, okay? But the rest of the world is like, ah, we don't have to get married. Let's just have sex. So it's cool. I get it. So, so sex was not mentioned. I was a little surprised. Um, the number one reason people want to get married right now in our country is a sense of permanence. Hello, America. Welcome to 2020. I was impressed. I was like, good on you. You're right. And marriage should be permanent, and it, it adds security and stability. And none of you agree with that, by the way. You're all just looking like, that's not why I want to get married. Um, some of you need stability. Anyways, um, Let's do, let's do a, 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 another number one. Here's an interesting one I found online. Uh, uh, the number one reason people are nice. That's an interesting one, right? Like, why do you think people are nice? Now, what I wanted to hear was, I'm nice because I love people. But this is an honest, the number one reason right now in the United States of America, people say they want to be nice is because it's contagious, Folks, I'm proud of our country right now. So far, so good, right? I want a sense of permanence. And when you're nice to someone, hello, okay, it boomerangs. People will be nice to you. It's contagious. This is free content. This isn't even in my sermon, okay? This is intro stuff, okay? Be nice. It's contagious. If you get nothing else from this sermon, be nice. It's contagious. Now, let's get to some real content. The number one reason people go to the gym. The number one reason people go to the gym, okay? And I'll be honest, I'm proud of America for this as well, okay? America has spoken. The number one reason we go to the gym, can we just be honest? To be honest, I, I, to be honest, to be honest, I don't know how honest we were in the first two, but America was honest about this one. Why do we go to the gym? We want to look hot. <laughs> Raise your hand if you're in. Yeah, the rest of you are liars in church in church. Let's transition. That's a great way to transition is just say it. This is now where we transition. You guys want to transition? What's the number one reason people go to church? Not the gym. The number one reason people go to church. This is interesting. America has spoken. This nation was polled. Why do you go to church? So many different reasons, but one rose to the surface. And it's interesting to me. Number one, by far, to feel closer to God. I want to feel closer to God. Now, that's layered. There's a lot to that, right? There's some tradition. There's some Christian customs in our country, right? Have you ever um, got the sensation that if I attend a religious function, God, I'm sure, will be more there than he is at Chick-fil-A. So I'm going to be closer to him there, right? And that's come some of our kind of our sensations and feelings and traditions in this country. And so when people say, I want to go to church, I want to go to church because I want to feel closer to God. 
Now, I love that answer for a number of reasons. The first is because we all feel that way. And I love the word feel. Oh, I love feelings. A friend of mine was trying to make an objective decision today. I'm over objective decisions. I only want to make emotional ones. I love emotional decisions. They feel so great in the moment. Like, I love feelings. I love, I love America. They have spoken. Why do we go to church? We want to feel closer to God. Now, of course, the, the backside of that is we, we don't feel close to God. Well, that's something to consider. Wow. I guess based on that survey and that consensus, so many of us right now watching on Instagram Live or watching right now in Seattle on the app or right here in this theater, currently we don't feel close to God. Now what that leads me to believe as well is so many people have logged in, they're watching right now or in this room, and your felt need is I, I want to feel like I am closer to God. Probably in there, probably in there is that God likes me. He's not like a million miles away. He's like not like too mad at me. Like he doesn't have a scowl on his face. He has more of like just kind of a, like, you know, I'd like to know that I'm, you know, close means that we're okay. I'm good with God. I'm okay with God. We want to feel good with God. We want to feel okay with God. Now, you might be sitting here going, to be honest, Judah, I don't even believe in God. I'm not really interested. Okay, but if you did, if there was a God, if there actually was a God, wouldn't you want to know him? Wouldn't you want to feel the sensations that you are not far from him and that you could know him? I, I want to feel closer to God. So this sermon is dedicated to the number one reason people go to church, to feel closer to God. So here's the question we're going to answer in the next few minutes. Why or what keeps us from feeling close to God? Now, we've got to set the record straight just for a moment, okay? There are some misnomers of this concept of proximity to God. A lot of our culture teaches that you can gain proximity to God based on deeds or location, right? Like if you go to Rome, you can get closer to God. If you go to Israel, you can get closer to God. If you go to church, you can get closer to God. Categorically, we must conclude that actually is not, how should I say, true. There are these characteristics of God. One is, first of all, his omnipresence. That means multiple places at the same time. God is available. God is always here. God is present. He is not far. Judah, how can you be sure? Because God manifested himself in physical, visible form. He put on skin and bone, and the Message Bible says he moved into the neighborhood. In case there is anyone wondering today whether or not God is available, God is involved, God is watching over, God knows your name, God cares about you, he formed you in your mother's womb before you were born, you can be sure you are not far from God. I'm talking about you don't even believe in God. The irony is God is very close by. Okay, so God's not far but I understand what America's saying. They're saying, I want to feel close to God. If God's here, but I want to feel close to God. And so we use vehicles like music and others to, to feel close 
to God. What, here's the question. What keeps us from feeling close to God? Well, that's where the lepers come in, specifically nine of them. Now, let's make an observation just for fun. This may not be the perfect interpretation of this passage, but isn't it interesting in consideration of the human condition that out of 10 lepers, only one gets close, if you will, to God, which tells me something about our nature. Can I just say our nature tends not to go in the direction of God, but in a different direction. By the way, that doesn't make you a horrific, wicked, evil person. It makes you uh, selfish, normal, natural, and really in touch with your five senses. And sometimes to feel close to God, we have to own these hindrances, these roadblocks, these things that keep us from feeling close to God. Let me, let me say it like this. If God, in fact, categorically, theologically is close to you, we know we can prove in Scripture that God is close, his proximity is near, then, 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 then who's the culprit? If we don't feel God, is it because maybe something that we're experiencing is the problem with us or is the problem with God? I'd like to suggest today that we don't have a God problem, we have a gospel problem. Okay, the gospel is designed. What's the gospel? It is the good news about Jesus. This news is designed to make you feel close to God. It is designed that way. Here's how the story goes. Ten lepers, okay? They're afflicted horrifically in their body. Jesus, hey, we heard you're a miracle worker. Have mercy. Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. Now, they should have said, but that's not the law. How about you heal us, and then we'll go show ourselves to the priest. Jesus is doing this on purpose. He says, go show yourself to the priest. They're like, all right. Now, watch this. They start walking, apparently, in the other direction from Jesus. And then something very unusual happens, which is not normal. While they're on their way, they are healed. All of a sudden, I don't know if it was gradual. I don't know if someone was like, hey, bro, you got a right ear again. You got a right ear. Did you have a left one or a right one? You got a right one. Hey, you got an ear. Ha! Right? Dude, your nose is back. No way. Oh, my word. Right? Like, this, this was real. Dude, I got a leg again, right? I mean, it was taking legs and limbs and ears and noses. And, 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 and he goes, hey, I'm healed. And they're like, we all are. Think about it. They were all healed. As they went, they were healed. They're all healed. He's like, this is amazing. Let's go back and thank the guy who did it. And they're like, no. And I'm going to say this. The same reason the nine went this way when Jesus was this way is the same reason we don't feel close to God. Same reason. Now there's one guy, 10% of us wants to be like, Jesus! Maybe, just maybe, 90% of us is already wired in our natural, normal self to go this way. What do I mean? 
All right, let's ask the question. Why were nine former lepers, when they're healed, why did they go this way when Jesus is that way? Two reasons. Two reasons that are apparent to me, and I think you would agree. And that rhymed. God is in this place. (laughs) Number one, law. And number two, logic. Here's going to be the two greatest obstacles you're going to find when it comes to feeling close to Jesus. You're going to have to grapple with law and logic. Now, the next few minutes, I'm going to do my best to try to unpack and prove to you that the way you are prepackaged and pre-wired and culturally raised in the context of this country, you are actually taught from a very young age to abide by the law and adhere to your logic. And I think you're going to be shocked to discover that oftentimes by focusing on doing the right thing and being practical, we sabotage our own desires to feel close to God. Now, before we go any further, let me say, explain one more thing. In the Bible, there's a thing called Old Testament and New Testament. Old Testament, New Testament. The new is really not that new. It's slightly misleading. Okay, it is still very ancient as well, okay? But you have old and new. The old is primarily a story of a nation God created called Israel after his name was Jacob, changed to Israel. God builds a nation. The Jewish people are a peculiar, extraordinary, amazing demonstration of God's generosity and still are in the earth. God builds his own nation. You'll notice if you read the Old Testament, you'll see God's provision. You'll see God's protection. You'll see God's deliverance. It is extraordinary. And God gives millions of Jews in the Old Testament rules to live by. In fact, he says, if you can keep these rules, we can have a close relationship. In fact, millions of people attempted to keep those rules. Some call them the Ten Commandments. But in truth, by the time Jesus arrives in the Middle East, there are over six Hundred rules to be kept by the Jewish people. The Bible says over and over, nobody could keep those rules. Therefore, God in his perfection could not be in close proximity to his people. Suddenly we have a problem. Sinful, selfish human beings cannot be in close proximity to their creator because their creator is white, hot, perfect meaning he's so perfect, he's the personification of perfection. Anything imperfect is destroyed, if you will, by his perfection. There cannot be a coexistence. And of course, this defeats the whole purpose of why you and I were created, which was to have a connection and relationship with our creator. So God becomes a man. His name is Jesus, a Jewish man. He comes down to fulfill all 600 laws all of them, and without sin. He is perfect. He becomes the go-between. He does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. The Bible says he who knew no sin. He lived for some 33 years on the face of this planet. He knew no sin. He became sin, paid the penalty for sin, hung on the middle cross, buried in a tomb, rose again on the third day, and when he beat death, He told to everyone who saw him appear, he basically said, and I summarize, I told you so. 
I told you, I'm God. And everyone's like, yeah, you're God, for sure. Nobody comes back from crucifixion but you. He's like, cool. Now, everything I taught you, you know is true. If I didn't beat death, you know it's not true. But I did beat death, therefore it is true. What's true? That Jesus fulfilled all the rules and regulations required to have a relationship with God. Now, human mankind can have a relationship with their creator, not by doing good, being good, trying hard, or keeping 600 laws, but by simply accepting that Jesus did it in proxy. Jesus did it in our place, and now I can have a relationship with God. It has nothing, please hear me, it has nothing. My connection and friendship with God now has absolutely nothing to do with my performance. It has everything to do with me accepting the performance of Jesus in my place. Now, if you believe that or you're considering believing that, you must understand that's a watershed moment to say the least. That changes everything. Think about it for a moment. Jesus, the world order was do good, get good. Follow the rules, get the positive results. Don't you get punished. Now Jesus comes on the scene. People still trying to feel him out, understand him. 10 lepers come. Now understand, in Jesus' day, to have leprosy meant you did something bad or someone in your family did something bad and the skin disease was judgment on your family for something that was bad. So when you had leprosy, it wasn't that you were losing your nose, your lips, your hips, your fingertips. That wasn't the worst part. The worst part is it was shame. Everyone be like, well... You did something dumb, or your uncle did something dumb, or your dad did something dumb, and that's why you don't have a nose. It was, it was humiliating. So 10 lepers who are living by rules, living by do good, get good, cause and effect, try harder, they come to Jesus. And when you're at the end of your rope, you're at the end of your rope. They're like, hey, can you help us? We don't know how your miracle thing works, but we heard, can you? And Jesus, just to kind of convolute things a little bit, he says, well, why don't you go show yourselves to the priest? Now it's like, wait, that's kind of in the rule book, but it's kind of out of order. Jesus, what's he? He's trying to communicate. I came to change the order of things. I came to change how you relate to me. He says, go to your priest. And they're like, all right, all right. All right, cool. They start going, and all of a sudden you're like, we're healed. <laughs> and one guy who is not Jewish, keep in mind now, that means he doesn't know the Torah, most likely. He doesn't know all the rules. He goes, hey, <laughs> let's go thank him. They're like, that's not what the rules say. And he's like, I don't know the rules. Where I'm from, when somebody does something good, you say thank you. In fact, I think this guy is not a normal guy. And they're like, no, nah, man, the rules say we got to, what do you mean? Well, the law says you got to show yourself to the priest. And so we got to do that. And he's like, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't have to do that. They're like, yeah, you do. No, I don't. You said, Judy, you don't know if this conversation happened. Yeah, but it kind of probably did. <laughs> well, I'm going to go. And he comes back just like, ah! <laughs> I love you, falls on his face, doesn't care what anybody thinks. Meanwhile, 
Nine former lepers are waiting probably in line. How many priests can they find? Nine priests? Probably not. They're probably all like find one or two and they're like waiting in line. Okay, can you search me? Okay, you're, wow, you're, you're, you're totally clean. Okay, thank you. Then they go find their family and they never go back to say thank you to Jesus. Are these nine former lepers, are these bad people? When he says, I want to thank Jesus, do they all go, no, we worship the devil. He's like, no. And they're like, yes. He's like, oh. And he's like, no, we do this. He's like, no, we do this. You know, like, I'm going to get emails for that. Okay. Right, was it like devil versus Jesus? We choose the devil. No. They're just like, what? No, no, this is what the law says. Furthermore, be sensible. What? You're being emotional. Be logical, okay? We, first of all, we need to go see our families, okay? We need to see the priests. We need to make sure this is, I mean, you know, we got to take our clothes off, make sure everything's clean. So be, before you go back, be, come on, this is the way of sensibility, And we have no record that those nine lepers ever had any more contact with the Savior of heaven and earth who did a miracle for them. Because they were bad? No, they were just doing what was normal to do. And what was normal to do was follow the law and be logical. Why do you go to church? I just want to feel closer to God. I think that you can feel closer to God more than once a week when a preacher's preaching and the band is singing your favorite Hillsong song or Bethel or Maverick City. Like I start listing all the worship bands, yeah. Um, I think God's close. Why don't we feel closer to God? Two things we're going to face the most is the law and Logic. Now, some of you are like, Judah, I'm, I'm not familiar with the Torah. I don't even know the Ten Commandments, so that's not a big hurdle for me. Let me explain it like this. The law is that thing that says, um, be good. Be good. Now, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? Because if I walked out here, let's say I walked out and it was the beginning of the message. And I walked out, I was like, hey, church, how are you? Good to see you guys. All right, tonight I want to talk about be good. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, be good. You'd all be like, oh, this is going to be good. That sounds great. Be good. I, I think we should be good. How many of you tell your friends, all right, talk soon, be good. And be good seems so good. We're like, yeah, be good. That's a big message of Jesus. Be good. No, it's not. Do you know Jesus never said, be good. Hey, 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 try harder. Put a little effort into it. You'll see some results. If you dream big, shoot for the stars. You can do anything. That's not what Jesus taught. He didn't say be good. In fact, he came and part of his message was, um, none of you are good. Everyone's like, well, that's a mean thing to say. One person said to Jesus, I go, good teacher. He goes, good, that's interesting. Only God's good. 
why do you call me good? And they're like, oh, it was just a figure of speech, sorry. <laughs> you know, like, ah, <laughs> be careful what you call them. <laughs> good, really? Am I good? Really? Only God's good. You're not good. Only God's good. Am I good? Then I'm God. Uh, good to see you. What did you say? <laughs> um, I want to feel closer to God. Well, one of the reasons you don't feel closer to God is because you keep thinking that one of our mantras here is to be good. But it's not. You need, you need, you need, you need to be good. Hey, how you been, man? I'm just working on some stuff, man. I'm really just, you know, I'm really, I'm really growing myself. I'm improving myself. I'm just trying to be a better version of me. Now, I know what we all mean, but then again, I'm like, do we know what we mean? Or have we all just said that so long, it becomes culture. Culture colludes with Christianity, and we come up with a version of the gospel that didn't come out of Jesus' mouth. And so we walk around, and we're like, I'm just trying to be good, man. Hey, listen to this, did this, worked on this, tried this, improvement. What am I trying? Trying to be good. Be good. And being good typically takes you this direction while Jesus is over. Why don't you go show yourself to the priest? Someone should say, why? Well, isn't that what the law says? Yeah, but you're right here right now. I heard you can do it. Really, you've heard that? Jesus would have got a smile on his face, really. I like your style. How about we say that I can't do the law and I can't be good and I've tried really hard and I've failed and that's why I'm here for you. Can you do for me what I can't do for myself? I sure can. Okay, do it. He's like, all right. That, Jesus was frustrating the whole system. Like, Go show yourself to the priest. We're not even healed yet. Why would we do that? That's what he wanted. That's what he was so then it happens, and it takes a guy who doesn't know the rules to go, we're guys, stop! We don't need priests! We need to go thank that guy! They're like, you're definitely, you don't know our book, do you? You're definitely a Samaritan. Um, that's not how it works. And he's like, I don't know how you think it works. I, oh, I don't really care. Let's go thank him. I want you to think about it. Let's just, let's just, just for a moment, I'm coming to a close, which at this point means absolutely nothing. But <laughs> he looked over your neighbor. When he says that, he usually means a f quite a few more minutes. <laughs> if you distilled um, a lot of sermons that I preach and people like me preach, if, if, <clears throat> if, we didn't, if we're not careful, if you distill the sermon down, you can kind of summarize it with, try harder to be good like Jesus. And you know what's wild? We'd all go, it's good. Except it's the number one thing keeping you from feeling close to God. Because you keep reinforcing to your brain and body that the way you gain proximity is by doing good. Meanwhile, Jesus is back over here going, you're not good. You're not good. 
you'll have occasional moments. It'll be few and far between, but you're not good. And what's supposed to happen is we're over here going, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. I'm exhausted. Hey, I tried being better. And he's like, I know. You can't do it, can you? No. What do you suggest? How about I do it for you and you believe in me? Fantastic. That's called the gospel. Paul says these paradoxical things like, when you are bad, (laughs) when you are weak, then you're strong. God's power is on you. Let me translate that into more even like, like current language. When you are bad, then you'll be strong because God's goodness will be on you even though you're bad because you believe in Jesus. So that'll happen. But no one wants a preacher like me to get up and be like, hey guys, the fact that you're bad means you are so close to God. You'd much rather someone like me say, hey, the better you get, closer you'll be to God. (laughs) Who wants to try harder, boys and girls? Yeah? Okay. Get your carpet square, everyone. Crisscross applesauce. Listen. The gospel doesn't even work when people are like, I'm, I, I, think I, I think I can be good. You do? Yep. All right, well, let me know when you come to the end of that. Why? Well, I got some news I want to share with you. Well, what's the news? Well, it wouldn't really make sense in your context. Why? Well, because you think you can still be good. What's mean of you to say? Well, do you want to hear the news? Yeah, kind of. Um, Everyone has done wrong and done bad and they're selfish and, and, and just insecure and they're broken and uh, you actually can't really um, save yourself or make yourself better on the inside. It's all temporary fixes. It's like duct tape and scotch tape and it's not even real. And so we're all broken. And um, so that's why Jesus came. He was perfect. He wasn't broken at all. He was sinless, but he became sin, took all the penalty and the judgment for us. And so by simply not doing, but receiving and believing, uh, we could have a relationship with God forever and ever and be a part of his family and just kind of live from that place. So that's kind of the news about <laughs> Jesus. <clears throat> I'm going to be good. Or you could give up trying to be good. This is where the, Je- the teachings of Jesus, we keep putting it in language that's not current. When Jesus comes on the scene, you know what he says to the masses? He's like, stop, give up, quit, lay down your life. Wait, what? If you want to follow me, pick up your crucifixion tool, the cross, carry it every day and follow me. What's that language mean? I want you to admit every day that you can't save yourself and that you're broken and that you're weak. And then just roll with me. And everyone's like, that doesn't sound like an improvement plan. (laughs) All right, man, talk soon. Be good. I want to respond. I tried and I can't. Can you say something else as we depart one another's presence? (laughs) We should just tell each other, try harder. Try to save yourself. I'll see you next Wednesday. (laughs) Can't be good. And then logic. Logic. Logic says, 
right? The, the law says be good. Logic says be practical. Be practical. Here, I'll give you, I'll give you kind of a, here's, here's the, log, the logical gospel. Listen, man, God's done his part. Now you do yours. Okay, brother. And so the logical gospel goes something like this. Listen, Jesus gave everything. What are you going to give? We all go, oh, man, that's a good point. Uh, I'm going to give my life. Well, that's the least you could do. And so the gospel now becomes a 50-50 partnership. And this is where my science teacher in high school, he goes, you know, Judah, heard you're a deeply religious guy. I said, yes, sir, I am. Thank you, Mr. Anderson. He says, uh, you know what my favorite verse is? No. I've said this so many times, so I'm like, here we go again. God helps those who help themselves. And I don't know like the whole Bible, but I was like, I hadn't found that one in there yet. I don't know if that one's in there. But I didn't say nothing because that's culture. That's the American way. Oh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian. That's a, of course. That's awesome. What are you, you kind of into? Well, partnership with God. He does his part. I do mine. In, in what? In saving ourselves. No, no, that's not how it works. No, it is. God is, you know, he's a God who's like, hey, listen, I did my part. When are you going to do yours? I'll move when you do. What? Yeah. Everybody wants to get close to God. Well, God would get close to you if you got close to him. What? Yeah, yeah, so God's over there and he's going, I'm over here. Your move. And we're all like, okay. And God's like, oh. <laughs> and here we go. What are we doing? It's the logical gospel. We meet in the middle. God, you're amazing. And God's like, no, you're amazing. <laughs> I did my part and you did yours. And I'm saved. So then we walk through culture, looking at people going, <laughs> If you'd help yourself a little bit, you could be saved. I'd love you to come to my church, but <laughs> you're going to have to change what you wear because how do I say God meets you in the middle? No! For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What that scripture means is the scandalous raw gospel teaches me that no, no matter what the results are, Jesus will die on the cross for humanity even if we all reject him. No guarantees. No, he, he's the initiator. All we are is responders. Salvation is 100% the doing of God. Please hear me. And we simply go, yeah, wow, and we receive. I, I'm, coming, I'm coming to a close. I'm getting, I'm getting a little feisty, but um, wearing corduroy gets me feisty, but <laughs> logic, be practical. Maybe it's just because I'm in my 40s now, but I'm so tired of us being so practical when things are so spiritual. Can we stop making things practical that even in the Bible aren't practical? It's not, everything's not practical, America. Everything's not practical. Some things are just mysterious. 
Some things are just mysterious. Like, like, like diseases. They're just mysterious. Well, if we do it, something, bad things just happen to really good people and, 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 and good things happen to really bad people. No, there's just mystery. There's mystery all over the place. You can't be logical. There's no logic in this scene. This guy's like, ah, I'm so pumped. Let's go. And they're like, calm down. Okay, we're healed. Now let's follow through. Be responsible. And he's like, I, uh, okay. And so from platforms like this, we've turned churches into domesticated arenas where we tell people, be good and be responsible. And the guy celebrating the story other than Jesus is the guy not following the rules, not being logical. He's just like, I don't know a lot. But when we cried out to that guy, and we asked to not have a disease anymore, it happened. So I'm gonna go that way, and I'm gonna be really ridiculous, and emotional, and I'm gonna kiss his feet. And the nine people are like, that, don't do that. We need to do this. Now, you're not going to like this verse, but it's in the Bible. Check this out. Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. I promise I'm coming to a close. All of my feistiness is calming down. Here's the scripture. Like I'm out of breath. It's like, Judah, you should get a trainer. <laughs> I'm not into vain reasons. I just, this is just about the Lord for me. Colossians 2.20. If with Christ you have died, please hear this, please hear this. If you don't hear nothing, hear this. If with Christ you died to elemental spirits of the world, why is if you're still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Please hear me. Going on to the next verse. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. So easy for church to be that. Hey, stop. We don't do this. We don't do this. What's the church about? Well, we don't do this. We don't do this. We don't do this. And we always vote for. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Refer any things that all perish as they're used, according to human precepts and teachings. Uh-oh, going on, next verse. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and aestheticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Can I read it to you in one more translation? Check this out, I think this is the message. I wish I could read that, there we go, okay. It's in such small print back there. So then, please hear this. If, if with Christ you've put all the pretentious and inf infantile religion behind you, why do you let yourselves be bullied by don't touch this, don't taste this, don't go near this? You think that'll make you closer to God. I don't do this. Judah, I recently cut this out. I feel so much better. So much better. Don't do this. Do you think these things are here today and gone tomorrow are worth that kind of attention? are worth that kind of attention, are worth that kind of attention. Do you know, I've been doing this for a while now, do you know how many emails I have received from people over the years telling me, Judah, you always preach about Jesus and him being crucified and we're always focusing on Jesus. We just wish you would get deeper and more practical. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> Is that worth that kind of attention? Such things sound 
sound impressive if said in a deep enough voice. (laughs) They even give the illusion of being pious and humble as an aesthetic. But they're just another way of showing off and making yourselves look important. Like, for those of us that follow Jesus, we have to kind of like smoke that for a second. What in the world? Wrong, wrong word. We have to soak. Somebody like, pastor. We, I don't smoke, relax. And that's what makes me a Christian. I don't smoke. But they're just another way of showing off, an illusion of being pious and humble, make yourself look important. Let me, let me speak just from my own experience. Here's what I have chosen in my own life. Oh, I want to feel closer to God. I want to feel closer to God. I'm coming to a close. I have realized that going this direction, though I say I want to be, I want to feel closer to God, I am willing to trade in actually being close to God for pious, humble aesthetics that make me feel important. In my own life, my brothers and sisters, I've been following Jesus for a long time now. I'm telling you, I have told myself I want to feel close to Jesus. But when given the option, I'm like, but if I follow the rules, if I be good, and if I'm practical, the appearance that I'll have before people. Hey, man, you see that movie lately? I don't go to movies like that, brother. Sorry. Sure, it was fantastic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. My bad. That's okay. You'll learn. Oh, okay. Okay. How many times, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to me, about me for a second. How many times I have said, being close to God, kind of, it doesn't look cool. Like, who would you choose to be? These nine people are like, we're healed. And this guy's like, hey, let's go. Jesus, oh my God, I love you. I love your beard. Right, like, everybody wants to be close to Jesus, but nobody wants to be that guy. Everybody wants to fit in. And so we have a status quo even in Christianity. It is. Thanks, man. I'm trying. It is. Don't encourage me. I'm like 60 minutes in. Don't say that'll add 10 minutes. You know, like I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Thank you. I love you. But I'm just being as honest as I can. I, I say I want to be closer to Jesus, but I'm like, yeah, but if I follow the rules, if I do good, try harder and I get practical and I do my part, I'm going to feel, and this is, this is the bottom line. This is the bottom line. This is the bottom line. I have an appetite in environments like this. Preacher, tell me what I can do so I can feel good about me. Seven things you can do to feel. Some of you are like, is he being serious? No, I'm making a joke. But 
seven ways to. And Jesus, here's his one way. Um, die to yourself. Give up trying to be better and do good. What? And stop trying to figure it all out and just, and I end with this. Paul writes to young Timothy who was struggling as he was leading his church. And he says this in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, Timothy, my dear son, comma, live your life empowered by God's free-flowing grace. Hear this. It's your true strength. It is not by might. It is not by power. It is not by making your flesh feel better. This is not a contest won by the dedicated, elite, committed few. This is a hodgepodge collection of people who are willing to admit they are broken and they are exhausted with trying to be good. It's your true strength. It's your true strength. So here's the conclusion of the matter. I'm done. Please, please, band, please, please join me. Please join me. Um, Here's the whole of man's existence in light of the gospel. What is grace? Grace is the free gift of Jesus to humanity. Gift, grace, gift means unearned, unmerited. The universe has changed whether you and I are aware of it. There now is a whole new world order that's available to anyone who believes. And this world order, please hear me, your hard work should be commended but it cannot save you. We are here tonight celebrating not the noble, diligent, hard work of a few do-gooding Christians. We are here to celebrate that in all of our efforts, we fall flat. We are here now saying that I no longer work hard for God's forgiveness, for God's approval. My work, any hard work I do on earth, please hear me, it is worship. What is worship? It is a response of gratitude. And so now, as I look at my day tomorrow and I prepare to be diligent as a husband or diligent as a father or diligent as a friend or diligent as a pastor, my hard work is not to earn the good graces and proximity of God. Jesus did that for me. Now, my work is worship. Now I'm like, I want to do whatever my hand finds to do. I'm going to do it with all of my heart because the songs I write are worship. Because the buildings you build, architect, is worship. It's me saying, God, thank you. I'm going to honor my wife because I'm saying thank you to you. I'm going to raise my kids to know you because I'm grateful to you. I'm not working for you. I'm working from your acceptance and your forgiveness. I'm telling you, everything's changed. You hear me? We're supposed to be the peculiar people on the planet. Hard work is different for us. It's not to prove our worth. It's not to find my identity in. It's not about pulling up your bootstraps and living the American dream. Jesus is not American. He's God. 
And His grace changes everything. And now, don't be misled. My diligence is worship. It's like, God, wow. I woke up early this morning, not because I had to or because I was trying to prove something, but because I'm so grateful to have another day to worship you. So sing if you sing and let it be worship. Paint if you paint and let it be worship. Build if you build and let it be worship. Speak if you speak and let it be worship. Create if you create and let it be worship. Let it not be said of us that we are like everybody else trying to get ahead in life and prove ourselves. No, my worth has been proven in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And I am loved and I am accepted and I am his and I am free. I'm going to get closer to God. That's even like he's already close, but I'm going to feel closer to God by just worshiping. I know this is wild, but like when your knee-jerk reaction says, I need to try harder, stop doing that and just worship. Just worship. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Accept your security. Accept your identity. You're free, son. You're free, daughter. Now just respond to that. Just respond to that. Wow. This is made this great wide open space called grace. It's yours. You're free. This isn't do good, get good. Jesus solved all that. This is do bad, get good. This is grace. This is Jesus. Now let us thank him with the rest of our days and the rest of our hours. Let us thank him. Some of you, you're going to feel a prompting from God to let go of something in your life, to cut something out. Don't you let your brain and your body start taking pride in that. Remember, it was God who's going to give you the grace to let go. There are people in here, you're fighting addictions, and you have focused on that addiction. You have obsessed over that addiction. You've told yourself you're going to beat that addiction. I'm here to tell you you are no match for that addiction. That addiction has your number, but there is one who can defeat your addiction, and his name is Jesus, and he's already doing the work for you. And you now begin to thank him and respond. He's going to set you free. And when they come to you and they ask, how'd you do it? Your response will be, I did it. He did it. You remember what Paul said? I promise I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Instagram live. I love you. I'm done. I promise I'm done. Paul says, I work harder than you all. Well, it's not merely me working. It's the Spirit of Jesus working through me and in me. <laughs> that's, how you're gonna, that's how you're not going to quit. You hear me? That's how you're not going to give up. That's how you're not going to be like your dad, and you're not going to be like your grandfather, and you're not going to do what your mom did. And some of you in here, you got a fear that you're going to be just like that family member. Here you go again. It's going to happen to you just like it happened to your uncle. You're going to be a statistic. You're going to be a casualty. It's not going to work for you. I'm telling you, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And what God started in you, he'll be faithful to complete it. Jesus is greater than your family tendencies. 
Stuff's about to change for you and your family. And it won't be your doing. It'll be your letting go and surrendering to the power of Jesus Christ that pulsates through your body. It's Jesus. It's all Jesus. And this free gift has changed the world as we know it. This just turned into a doctrine class, and I like it. <laughs> let me pray. Let me pray. I need to pray. Jesus, I need to pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for what you're doing. And, 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 and God, we're going to be the first to admit in this moment, like our brain just kind of, um, it, it just comes to the end of itself because it's so illogical. It's so supernatural and it's so beyond our understanding. But you change everything. You change everything. You change everything. Whew. Right now, Lord, I just... I pray for um, the strength and courage to surrender in this room for every man, woman, boy, and girl under the sound of my voice or watching right now. We just let go. If any man desires to come after me, Jesus says, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's time to give up. It's time to let go. It's time to surrender. Are you tired? Are you worn out, burned out on religion? Come to Jesus and find a real rest, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Come one, come all. You don't have to earn it or deserve it. You simply believe it and receive it. It's Jesus. He's the truth of the universe. If you want to know him, if you want to receive him, on the count of three, wherever you are, whether you're in this auditorium in real time, whether you're watching in Seattle, or you're right now on Instagram Live and you're watching, please hear me. If you'd like to receive Jesus, you can do that in this instant. For God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son for you, that if you simply believe you will not perish, you will have everlasting life. If you want that everlasting life, I'm telling you, I sense the nearness of Jesus. I sense the presence of Jesus while I'm standing on this stage. As sure as I'm standing here, I'm telling you, I feel him in the room. I feel him walking the aisleways. I feel him in the balcony. I know he's here. I know he's here. Church, I know he's here. And he is not here to judge you or condemn you or give you a guilt trip. He's here to forgive you, set you free, love you, affirm you, and welcome you into his family. You know who you are. On the count of three, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you say, Judah, I believe. Judah, I receive the free gift of forgiveness that only Jesus offers. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to shoot your hand up in the air and put it right back down. You know who you are. One, two, three. If that's you, shoot your hand all over the room, all over the room. Just shoot it up. God, you see these hands. You see these hands. Most of all, you see these hearts and you see these souls, and I thank you that forgiveness flows freely because it has already been paid for. And we thank you for that. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I, 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 know, I know I'm going a little long. I need to tell somebody you're free. Hear this scripture just for a moment. Whom Jesus sets free is completely free. 
And what that freedom means is all of your error, your wrong, your sin, past, present, and future is forgiven forever. You are free from guilt. You are free from shame and condemnation. That helplessness and hopelessness is lifting off of your life right now by the person and power of Jesus Christ. You are not what you have done. You are defined by what he has done. And his love is unconditional and never ending towards you. Your worth before God is immeasurable. That's who you are. God, we thank you for that right now in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus.